0: Listener production. Ever looked back after a major meltdown and thought, if only I'd just taken time to count to 10? Timeouts can work for kids, so can they work for parents too? Timeout for an adult when it's effective is quick and easy. Welcome to Episode 6 of our special series, Parenting the Parent, with Dr Rebecca Ray, where we explore what it means to be a parent, the choices we make, the ways that we cope, and how we can turn old patterns into new actions.
1: Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt and Rebecca Ray.
0: Have you ever told your kids to have a time out? What about you? Have you ever given yourself the time and space to gather your thoughts and feelings? To breathe. Just to take stock and calm down. Maybe get back into parenting with a clearer mind. Yeah, I know, me neither. But Dr. Rebecca Ray is here to explain why we need to do this. Beck is a clinical psychologist, author of several books, and mum to one cheeky little boy. Hi Beck, how are you? Hi, Chef. Why do adults need timeouts? Because we're not always on our best (laughs) behaviour.
1: That is a very good way of putting it. (laughs) This is interesting. We often talk about timeouts for children as a process of discipline, something that rewards them or something that at least we hope shapes a behaviour that we want less of. But in adults, what we're talking about is giving ourselves space to be able to deal with what happens internally when we don't want it to, and that might colour our parenting, and then be able to gather ourselves and come back into the situation. What might it look like a timeout
0: for adults? Because obviously, we don't need them until you don't the, need a chair. So what you're the same. I probably would like a chair. (laughs) Let's be honest. I want my little chair in the corner where nobody can talk to me. Oh, yes. Give me a chair. Give me a chair. Well, I just think that when we need a timeout is often, again, we're at the point of crisis where the proverbial has hit the fan. Everything will probably be going on at once. Let's just say, you know, it's witching hour and the kids are hungry and – You've got something on the stove and then the doorbell rings and the dog's barking and we all know those scenarios, right? And then your kid tells you that they're not going to eat pasta for dinner when they've eaten it every night that week. How long are we talking? Like, how do you actually make time for a timeout in that
1: moment when it's all going on? Let's distinguish between timeout and burnout. We should probably just start there when we're talking about length of time. If you're parenting during a pandemic, you know, a 60-second timeout for you as a parent might not cut it when actually you have been running on empty for months now, if not years, and you actually really need a decent break. What we're talking about for listeners is we're talking about that moment when you're not being who you want to be. So there is a difference between this kind of timeout in the moment where you're about to lose it. Um, and just generally being uh, at the end of your tether with your personal resources anyway. If you are in that situation, you know, perhaps you're single parenting and facing everything yourself, perhaps you're in a place where there's been conflict between you and your partner that's been as a result of unusual circumstances in your life that you're both facing right now please just make sure that you look after yourself but this is not what we're referring to in this particular episode um what I'm talking about is that one particular parenting moment where if you let it go the way it's going (laughs) you're probably not going to look back on that moment fondly um So in that moment, what we're talking about is a length of time that doesn't, we're not talking about a holiday, taking a whole break, (laughs) but we are talking about a, a break from the moment and that could be anything from 60 seconds to five minutes to leaving the house to go for a walk for an hour and coming back.
0: How does a timeout change the way we might view a situation or conflict?
1: I think it gives permission to not have to get it Perfect. One of the things about having timeout as an availability uh, as part of your parenting toolkit is that it acknowledges that you're human and that you're human with emotions that can flare um, as a result of things that you can't necessarily predict, i.e., a child and what your child might do next. What a parenting timeout does is it means that you give yourself space to be able to parent yourself before you parent your child.
0: Is there anything in particular you would advise we do in that timeout? Let's just say we've only
1: got a minute. How can we make a minute count? In that situation, if you, you've only got a minute, then you want to breathe during that minute. So... What's happening when you're approaching the need for a timeout (laughs) is that you're becoming dysregulated. So that means that your fear system has become activated. The limbic system in the brain, which is responsible for our survival responses, it means that we become very reactive and impulsive rather than thoughtful um, and considerate of what might work best. When you're at that point, you want to use the thing that is at your fingertips that can uh, reverse that fear response and that's breathing. So when we have a fight flight response, one of the things that happens, one of the physiological symptoms of that is that our breathing normally gets incredibly shallow and fast. Um, you might feel your heart rate pounding and you might feel that your chest breathing and quite quickly, uh, chest breathing as opposed to diaphragmatic breathing or breathing from your belly. Um, when it comes to having that 60 seconds, and that can often be the case, especially if you've got little kids and you can't necessarily leave the room, uh, what you're doing in that time is if you just take 10 breaths where you breathe in for a count of three and out for a count of three, is that you're sending that impulsive part of your brain a message that says, We don't need the alarms. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for turning everything on and for being available for that level of response, but that level of response is not necessary. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't feel uncomfortable. It doesn't turn off all the discomfort, but it does create a space between the stimulus, the thing that's kind of set you off, and how you're going to respond to that stimulus. We all breathe, right? But breathing
0: properly is actually really powerful. I don't think many people know that. So why is breathing so effectively? What's going on in our bodies and our brains?
1: When we become dysregulated, our fear system takes over. So the part of our brain that's responsible for our survival instinct that you might've heard called the fight-flight-freeze response. Um, enacts a whole series of changes in our body that prepare us to either run away from the danger to be able to fight the danger or instead to shut down. Now, what happens as a result of that response or that instinct is that our breathing naturally increases. So it becomes usually shallow and quick. Now, that supports running or it supports fighting, but it doesn't necessarily support you to be able to think clearly in the moment. Breathing is so effective because it's the only symptom of the survival instinct, the fight-flight response, that we can control. So when you slow your breathing down, it sends a direct message to the fear system in your brain that says, we don't really need these smoke alarms right now. It's not really necessary. Your fear system then reads your breathing and the fact that it's calming down, and that can then undo the entire fight-flight response. Okay, so we've talked about how effective it can be,
0: but do you have any tips on how to breathe in order to calm down, especially if we don't have much time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All you need is one minute. That's it. So take one minute and you can assume that one minute is around about 10 breaths. So initially I just want you to focus on breathing from your diaphragm, not from your chest. And then as you're taking those belly breaths, just breathe in for three seconds, hold. If there's a hold in the, uh, in between the inhalation and the exhalation and then out for three seconds. And you might hold again before you breathe in again and do that 10 times. It absolutely works, just
0: saying.
1: (laughs) What are some other strategies we might use
0: in a timeout?
1: There are many strategies that you can use, and I really encourage you to try as many as possible so that you can find the ones that work best for you. You could have a shower. You could go for a walk. You could listen to your favourite song. You could go into another room for a minute. But if you can't leave the room for whatever reason, if you can't get yourself out of the situation – then you can simply return to your breathing because no one needs to know that you're breathing, (laughs) that you're mindfully breathing at the time. It's a really easy way to be able to bring yourself back to center. You can also just reach for a glass of water as well.
0: Can we go back to the best ways to communicate this need? Just for a minute. How can we tell our kids that we need space because we're upset or we're angry without actually making the situation worse.
1: I think we need to remember that kids are often more in touch with their emotions than we are as adults. And they're very understanding of other people's emotions as a result of that. I think anytime we are emotional in front of our kids and demonstrate to them how we can actually uh, be okay with those emotions is a powerful teaching moment. So, If I was in a situation with Bennett where I felt overwhelmed and I needed to take a break, I would say something along the lines of, hey, buddy, I'm feeling like I need to take a break right now. I'm going to go into the other room and then I'll come back in a moment and we can continue talking about this. I love that. Um, However, (laughs) (laughs) I still feel
0: uncomfortable letting my kids know that I'm angry or upset. Um, I think, Other parents might have the same worry, and I know that's on me. So how do I become okay with saying to my kids, I need time out?
1: If you don't ever show your kids your own feelings authentically as they occur in the moment in real time, and then demonstrate to them how you regulate those feelings, then they don't get to see the most powerful teaching method that we have for regulation, which is modelling. So uh, rather than shaming yourself for having feelings in the first place and thinking I need to pull myself together before I parent right now, uh, perhaps reframe it in your mind to be able to understand, sorry, to be able to remind yourself that as you express the fact that you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling upset or you're feeling angry, what you're also doing for your child in that moment is saying, it's okay for humans to feel angry and upset, and we have choices about how we express that feeling.
0: Could you give us some examples of how we might express our need for a timeout to younger kids, let's say mm. five and under,
1: mm.
0: when they've really pushed the buttons and we need to regulate ourselves? Mm. How can we say it so that we're not scaring them, we're not making them feel like we're abandoning them, and when they need us most, that sort of thing?
1: As the parent of an under five, yes, I can give you some examples. I'm not sure how effective they are. No. <laughs> I've gotten more effective with time, I, I would hope. One of the things that Bennett does, my son, to both Nyssa and I, that can sometimes be annoying when you're trying to give yourself a timeout is he pursues. He's a, <laughs> he's a strong pursuer. I'm trying to retreat, I'm trying to save you, kid. Um, and he's pursuing. So one of the things that I often model is when we're calm, I will talk about there's time to chill, there's time to relax, there's time to have dinner, there's time to do these certain things that create these certain emotional states. You've got a lot of energy in your body, I can see. Is it time for us to go outside and play? And then when I'm in that state, I try to use the same language and say, it's time for me to leave the room and go over here for a bit, just so that I can gather my thoughts. What happens if they follow you? Good question. Because Bennett would. (laughs) (laughs) And has. He's almost like a mini sales team. Like he's, that was just my first offer. And now he's going (laughs) back to try to negotiate further. Um, I think that it's important to understand what you need in this situation. If if you actually need to be away from your child to be able to regulate yourself, go to the toilet and lock the door um, and then it's about being able to just disassociate yourself if there's knocking on the door. Um <laughs> If you can't necessarily remove yourself from your child to be able to do that, then it's about being able to go inward to regulate yourself. So again, we go for breathing, we go for drinking water, slowing down your speech is also a good one. If you can't trust yourself with what's about to come out of your mouth, take a glass of water and drink it. It just gives you a break in between... I'm going to yell at you right now because you're not giving me the space that I need and just enough to be able to then take a sip and activate your left prefrontal cortex, which is your logical brain, to then perhaps make a different choice. Do you ever use mantras, like little things you say in your
0: head? I know a friend of mine used to say when their kid was really pushing buttons that they'd say to themselves, I'm older than you, I am wiser than you. I am the adult in this situation. And I tried it a few times, particularly when my son was small and wouldn't get into the car seat. It worked a treat because it really just helped to short-circuit that kind of um, visceral response when they're being really full-on.
1: Yep. Um, (laughs) Again, this might be me being abnormal using psychological language because I do. It's just not with nice language like that. So I will actually say to myself, he doesn't have a left prefrontal cortex that's mature. (laughs) I know, I know, right? It's worth laughing at. But they're the actual words in my head. Now, if we were to put that into language that we've been talking about throughout this series, it would essentially be he can't regulate. He's doing his best with the neural wiring in his brain that he's got, but he doesn't have anything else to work with. And his big feelings, this is actually another one that I say that is not as psychological, but it's his big feelings and not a reflection of the quality of my parenting. I really think it's okay for children to be able to see feelings happen. It's the way you model the expression of those feelings if you were thinking that you needed to put pressure on yourself to actually mask those feelings for it to be okay for the kids, you're so concerned about the kids' emotional well-being, which let's face it, this entire podcast is about. Yeah. <laughs> but it's then also stopping you from being able to model for them, when I feel like this, what do I do about it? If they only ever see, oh, mum felt a bit off and then all of a sudden she put a smile on her face and she was fine, they don't see the interim coping bit. Yes. And so I think this is where the language or the tone or whatever it is that you choose to use can be incredibly helpful because you can then say, look, I'm not feeling great right now and I I can't say what I mean unless I take a moment to catch my thoughts or gather my thoughts or catch my breath. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think it's like okay. I think it's important to be able to say I feel angry right now because kids need to understand the social consequences in a social world and that's that other people will have feelings and those feelings may sometimes relate to them but mm. they don't necessarily need to take on the blame for the feelings.
0: Yeah. I suppose the the important thing for me in using a timeout when I'm angry is that modeling is I want my children to know that anger is a another emotion it's like any emotion it's how we handle it or how we put it out in the world that is the thing that counts in our family so I I accept that anger is a difficult emotion because it's so powerful and quick and spontaneous and how do you manage something like that but I If I can show them that when I'm angry, the way I deal with it is to take myself away and yell into a pillow or breathe deep breaths or whatever, my whole problem with timeouts is what you said. Like, I am scared of them seeing my actual emotions and that upsetting them.
1: Sounds like you're also scared. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I kind of heard in there that you're also scared of leaving them and you abandoning them in an emotional situation what impact that might have had on them as well? Because I feel like my role is, so if that, the
0: whole shiz is hitting the fan, in that moment, I feel responsible for that. I feel responsible for allowing things to get to that point and not responding in a way that helps regulate everybody in the room. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a perfect parent, obviously far from it, from what I'm saying, but because I'm not a yelly parent and because I try to talk to them and regulate us and them all the time, when I do make a mistake, I can see how much it impacts them. Mm. Interesting.
1: So I really want us to distinguish the pressure that you're putting on yourself to be almost inhuman or android and how much energy you're putting into that when I actually think that maybe we could open up a more flexible space for you where you didn't feel like you had to be so constrained with your emotions if you put the same energy into modelling and repair. Mm. So when we have time out one of the things when when parents have time out one of the things that we're able to do is to obviously calm the fear system and then be able to go back into the situation and whereas you might write a letter to your partner, you can't really do the same <laughs> with a child, but no. you can have a conversation with them about that experience and what that was like for, for them and how you're learning to do it better and what you didn't like in your own behavior and what you commit to doing next time. Yeah. And what you're opening up in that uh, situation is A, we're allowed to feel B for all humans Feelings can get very uncomfortable, and often they're not pretty. And sometimes we can't even contain them because they're so big. But you can have big feelings and trust that the environment is still safe. And I think this is the challenge for us as parents. How do we show our children the abrasive parts of life and being human? in a way where they're still psychologically safe because that's the key for learning, right? Mm. You can learn really hard things as long as you're in an environment that will receive you back with safety after that experience.
0: Okay, so we've talked about how we might remove ourselves. How do we come back from a timeout?
1: What should we say or do? I really love direct acknowledgement of what hasn't worked. I didn't like how I was speaking to you just now. Can I try again? Something as simple as that. To be able to say how I was before was not who I wanted to be for you. So can I have a do-over? That's also language that they get to experience when they mess something up. But what if they are the ones that have behaved badly? Uh, Recently, Bennett had uh, surgery and coming out of anesthetic was not a fun time for anyone. And, uh, he felt the effects for a number of days afterwards. One of those effects was a 45 minute tantrum that involved him throwing his toys across the lounge room. Now he's not really a kid that he's a boy, but he's not a kid that does that. He, it's not, not a normal way for him to express his feelings. And, He asked me to leave him alone in his bedroom. And I said, I'm not leaving you when you're feeling sad like this. I don't want you to feel like you're alone. So I'm just going to sit here and I won't look at you, but I'm not leaving. Now, once he had calmed down enough, he came to me for a cuddle, um, which I had offered multiple times, but he'd rejected. And he said to me, "Um, I was throwing my toys because I was trying to make you angry, but you didn't get angry. You just stayed with me. Now, I think it's really important to remember that what your child is experiencing in a situation like that with you is what we refer to as co-regulation. You're actually providing the calmness in the environment, even if their behavior is out of control. What they then learn is, I can come back to you because you stayed safe the entire time. My behaviour didn't mean that I'm bad and therefore make us unsafe with each other. Beautiful. Beck. thank you so much for your
0: time today. Thanks for having me, Chef. That was our sixth episode in our series Parenting the Parent with Dr Rebecca Ray. Coming up, dealing with grandparents. As the saying goes, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You might appreciate the way that your parents raised you, or you might want to bring up your own kids very differently. Either way, managing the grandparent relationship can be a delicate balance. That's on the next episode of Parenting the Parent. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.